Good morning. It's a honor to be up here in front of you this morning to um, deliver to you the Word of God, and I pray that you will um, follow along with us this morning in your Bible, if you have it with you. Um, if not, most people have a uh, telephone or a tablet of some sort of electronic device that you can get a app on really quick and, and follow along with us this morning. Uh, we won't put the main scripture up on the screen, um, the text of it, but we will be putting the others. But I, I, if you can, I'd like for you to follow along with us. We're not going a whole lot of different places um, this morning. It's all staying in the New Testament. be a great time to uh, practice familiarizing yourself with scriptures and how to locate them and where they at and, and all of those sort of things. So um, if you are a first timer here this morning, we'd like to say a great big huge welcome. Glad to have you with us. Um, hope that you will uh, come back and see us again. Please don't judge us off of one trip. Next time you come, maybe you get to hear Kevin speak and everything will be better. Right? Right. Um, we had a wonderful time yesterday. Those of us that got to go up, somebody said something I missed and it was hilarious. Right? Probably Ralph, if I was guessing. Not this time. Further back. Awesome. Right. Right. I've got, uh, we had a wonderful time yesterday. Uh, those of us that went up to Kentucky to visit uh, Adam and the folks at Calvary um, Memorial Baptist Church in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, we had a great time. Um, I will admit that I am functioning only because of um, Tylenol and ibuprofen this morning. We played volleyball for a uh, big part of our time there, and my body is not capable of doing that without waking up in the morning and screaming at me to remind me that it's not ready for that. So we had a wonderful time. If I look like I'm barely getting around, I am. <laughs> we will be in Ephesians chapter 6, start reading in verse 13. We have been in here for a little while, hopefully within the next couple of weeks get to uh, finish this up and, and move on to something different maybe. Uh, for the time being, though, we're going to continue with where we're at and, and try to finish out the whole armor of God this morning. I'm going to try to fit in the last two pieces of armor together um, and uh, then finish out within the next week or so, uh, next couple of weeks. So y'all bear with me and, and follow along. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, start reading in verse 13. If you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly 
as I ought to speak. Brother Kevin, would you pray for us, please? Father, we thank you this morning that, um, Lord, you hold us fast. Lord, we thank you this morning that, um, Lord, our salvation is all your work. Father, I just, um, I pray this morning that, um, Father, as your word has been read, that our minds will be renewed by it, and that, Lord, we will be able to, um, to apply it to our lives, and Lord, become more like you. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that you would bless the reading of your words. In advance, pray earlier, you would give, give us ears to hear, and give us minds to understand, and Lord, change hearts from your word. Father, we love you. We praise you for everything. And it's in Jesus' precious name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to start this morning by pointing out some things in what we've been looking at and reading and studying. Um, and I want to start with some verbs. If you'll go back to uh, verse 11. Verse 11 in chapter 6 uh, starts with the words, put on, right? Drop down to verse 13 and it says, take up. Come on down to verse uh, belt of truth. Verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the readiness given by the gospel. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. But I want you to notice where we started, where we're going to start this morning um, in verse 17, and it starts with. And take. Alright, so I did a little bit of a word study in advance to save you the time and the trouble. And let's face it, some of you weren't going to do it anyway, right? So, take up is you physically taking. Fasten, the same thing. You physically fasten. Some versions said lace up, same thing, physically you doing an action. All of those words involved you doing something, back to their original, how they were written. But where we start this morning and it says to take, and there's no up on the end of it, that's a different word that was translated to there. This word means to receive. Receive. It's not you taking something. It's not you applying something. It's not you fastening up something. It's you simply receiving something. That's important. That's important for you to know as we go through this morning that you understand the difference in these verbs. That there's a difference in you taking something and you receiving something. Because this morning we're talking about the helmet of salvation. See, there's a difference in this piece of armor and the rest of the armor that we've already talked about. The first thing you notice that is different for this piece of armor, all you got to do is receive it. Just, just accept it. This piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. And of course, everybody knows that the helmet is meant 
to protect our brain, our mind, our head, right? It's, it's to keep us from taking blows that would, would stop all process of your body function. We said last week, we noticed that when he talked about the shield of faith, he said, above all or in all circumstances. Putting a little extra emphasis, not taking any importance off of any other piece of this armor, because we know we've been told to take on the whole armor of God, but with the shield of faith, he's had just a little bit of emphasis on faith. This week we look at him say, to receive the helmet of salvation. And, and as you receive that, we know that this is to protect our head, the thing that makes it all function, right? In other words, if you cut my arm off, I can still live. If you take away my leg, I can still live. But if you remove my head... We see that when David faces Goliath, right? He knocks him out with a stone between the eyes, but then he walks up and takes out his sword and chops off his head. Why? He may have to face something else tomorrow, but it won't be that. Right? So, if you re so the helmet is here to protect the head, the main part, because if it, if it goes, it's all gone. Now, remember, Paul is drawing this illustration while looking at, we think, maybe at the time looking at, but we know over time has studied, and we even have other references in other parts of Scripture from Paul as he's looking at these soldiers and looking at this armor. So he's looked at this soldier and he's got this in his mind if he's not physically looking at him right now currently. He has looked at and he sees this helmet. And he's, and he's relating the parts of this armor to the importance of the things in a Christian's walk. Remember, our command here was not to go defeat Satan. It was to be able to do what? Stand and withstand. So in order for us to remain standing, we had to keep our head about us, right? So he's related this helmet to salvation. Where some may say it all has to start. Because if you don't have salvation and you don't have the Holy Spirit working inside of you, then truth is beyond your reach. Right? Faith it's beyond your, because the things you can put your faith in are going to be a Dollar General store shield. Righteousness as a breastplate is going to be unattainable. So this salvation, this helmet is going to be a very, very important part of this armor. We got to have all of it, not taking any emphasis off of any other piece. But at the same time, you've got to understand that without this helmet of salvation, you probably don't have any armor. Because it all begins there. It all begins with salvation. Now, we, are, we started this whole journey when Kevin started a series all the way back in John chapter 3. Y'all remember that? And in a conversation between Jesus and a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Y'all remember that? And he started out with an explanation of and a description of from Scripture, not Kevin's opinion, of what salvation is. And Nicodemus asked that question. 
And Jesus' answer was, in order for you to obtain the kingdom of God, you must be... He didn't say baptized. He didn't say smart in the Word of God. Right? He, he didn't say in church every Sunday. He didn't say saved. He didn't say redeemed. What did He say? You must be born again. A brand new creature. And of course, just like some of you, that confused Nicodemus and he asked, how in the world can I enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus, No, no. And don't worry about what you don't understand. You don't understand. You can't see where the wind comes from. You can't see where the wind goes, but you know it's been here. And he uses that illustration to help Nicodemus understand. So when we talk about salvation, as I talked to you this morning about salvation, that's what I'm talking about. This helmet of salvation is being reborn. We talked about it a little bit in, in Sunday school, and the reason being is because we're in the same book of the Bible as we study in Sunday school, except we're in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. And we're kind of easing our way through and walking through it very slowly and trying to understand every bit of it that we possibly can. And this morning that was re relatable to this discussion about a new mind, about not walking as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Something has changed about you. You are a new creature. All of those things are part of the former manner of life. You have a new manner of life. A new creation that was created in the likeness of God. That's what salvation looks like when you put it on. That, that's, that's the process of sanctification that can only start after salvation, after repentance, after a recognition, a, a recognition by myself that I see that I am at odds with God and I don't want to be. And then that process starts and God starts to do this new creation thing inside of me. And then the rest of it is a process called sanctification where He's continually removing things and adding things. But if that work is not taking place inside of you, you don't have a helmet. <laughs> And if you don't have this helmet, the rest of the armor is probably not, you're not going to last very long. Because again, we're trying to stand, withstand everything that the devil throws at us. And carnally, worldly, physically, however you want to say it, you ain't got a chance. I don't have a chance. It has to be fought. This, this war, has this battle, daily battle has to be fought using spiritual weapons. Spiritual armor. And if you don't have salvation, you don't have access to spiritual weapons, to spiritual armor. started this thing off with the belt of truth and asking you to be truthful with yourself. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing this morning, to be truthful with yourself about your... And I'm not asking anybody to question their salvation. I ain't, I'm, but I'm saying, really consider, are your desires different than what they used to be? Because 
as a worldly being, as a, as a born into this world one-time birth person, our desires are deceitful. That's what's natural to us. Our actions are sinful. It's what's natural to us. So looking at a timeline of my life, there should be a place where according to Corinthians, Paul and Corinthians, all things became new and old things passed away, right? Or in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, put off your old self, which is a part of your old manner of life, and put on the new. All right, so there's got to be a place in my timeline of my life. Now, I may not know the exact day or date or time, but there's got to be a place where I can put my finger on it and everything before that is deceitful natural desires and everything after that is different. There was a change that took place in me. I don't desire the same things I used to desire. I don't say the same things I used to say. I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not talking about trying to be good in and of yourself because none are good according to Scripture. The only good comes through us being plugged into the source of godliness, which is Jesus Himself. And if I've never been to that place, the rest of this armor doesn't matter to you. You don't have access to it. You've got to have this helmet of salvation. You've got to have it. You've got to know that you own it. You've got to know that you possess it. And the first thing you'll notice about this salvation is that it is in no way attainable by purchasing. <laughs> you can't do anything to earn it. All you can do is take or receive because this salvation is a gift of God. Look at Romans 6.23. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is also Paul writing. Romans 6, 23 starts out with the word for meaning that whatever he said before this is also important to what he's about to say, right? It's a connecting word. Verse 22 starts with the word, but. Verse 21 starts with the word, but. Verse 20 starts with the word, for. So we keep coming across these connecting words. We have to keep backing up. We're going to start at verse 20 for the sake of time this morning, but I would encourage you to go in to your Bible and read Romans chapter 6 so that you have a full understanding of exactly what Paul's talking about and to check me and make sure that I didn't tell you it said something that it does not say. That's the only way you can be sure is that you see it for yourself. So verse 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from... You see that change take place? You see what I'm talking about? About putting your finger in a spot and seeing something is different before the spot and after the spot? This, this is another example of that. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And it's end. And what is the end? Eternal life. That's the end of the process of sanctification. But look at verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the what of God? The gift of God. A gift it means you didn't earn it. it. means you didn't buy it. it. means that he all you had to do was receive it. It's just a gift. He just hands it over to you and you receive it. Or He tries to hand it over and you walk away from it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Back to Ephesians, but as you go through, stop at chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now remember, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. This is um, broken into chapters and verses and those kind of things for the fact of putting it in book form so that you and I can um, study it a little better. But remember, this is a letter. The, the book of Ephesians is a letter to the church of Ephesus from Paul. And it's a continual letter. And he didn't write it with chapters and he didn't write it with verses. It's a letter. Just like you would sit down and write someone a letter, that's what this is. So this thought process of this letter, most likely there's going to be a common theme, right? There's going to be things that are reoccurring in said letter. This is one of those things. And, and let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 2. So this is not only Paul, but this is Paul talking to the same group of people as what we're studying. In chapter 2, and, and we're going to start in verse 8, but I'm going to point it out to you again. Verse 8 starts with, we would back up, and verse 7 starts with, and, and verse 6 is the middle of a sentence and starts with the word and, and 5 is right after a comma. And you would want to go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 1, and start there, and you would actually back up a little further than that, but you could get an understanding starting in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 8, but you, I would encourage you to go do that to make sure that what I'm telling you is what the Word says and that I didn't alter it somehow to make it line up with what I'm wanting to say. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, listen, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. And here's the reason that you can't earn it and you can't buy it. Paul says it right here. So that no one may boast. I cannot take credit for my salvation. Do you see that? It's a gift that I must receive. I have to accept it. I cannot take credit for it. The Bible just told it. Romans, Paul in Ephesians, Romans first, and then in Ephesians told us it's a gift, which means you didn't... And then he tells us the reason it's a gift 
so that no one may boast, so that no one may take credit. It's important that you understand this morning salvation. It's, It's life altering that you understand salvation and what he's talking about in this armor. <clears throat> um, go to, I'm going to do very briefly, just go, go to Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you something. Uh, we have messages. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. I picked out just a couple of these, and I said I wasn't going to get into preaching about salvation because it was talking about the armor of God, And but we're here, so let's do it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Um, this is Jesus. If you backed up to verse 16 and started reading in Matthew chapter 10, you would see this is Jesus um, warning people, Christians, disciples, that persecution will come. You will be faced with persecution. And it's going to come from places that you may not expect it to come from. It's going to come from brothers and fathers. And, and it's going to come. There's no doubt about it. But here's how he... What I want you to see is in, in verse 22, how he wraps it up and it says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Being born again isn't about starting the race. Salvation, Paul does not brag to us about starting the race. I have finished the race. Salvation is to those who endure to the end. You, ha you have to understand that. There's this big debate, or used to be, I guess it still exists, uh, discussion amongst different um, denominations about once saved, always saved. And do you believe in once saved? If you, if you preach and you teach salvation in the right way, then I agree. But based on salvation being getting dunked and praying a prayer, no. But I, it ain't because I think it goes away, I think it's because you never had it. You got to preach what real salvation is, what it really means to be born again. And the fact that it's not about starting a race. It's not about that I remember the day I was baptized and I remember the day the preacher prayed with me. That ain't got nothing. It's, it's about a change, a genuine change that takes place, putting off of the old and putting on of the new and the process of sanctification. And no matter what comes at me, I never quit on it. Because if I quit, guess what? It never was there. It's not that I lost it. It's that it wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. See, when you have salvation, then you understand the value of what Christ did and who Christ is. And anything that in your life that has value, you will pursue it. 
And you will sacrifice other things to pursue it. And once you put that value on Christ, you will continually pursue Him. You will pursue Him in any way you can find. And He becomes the most important thing in your life. He's not just a Savior. He's the Lord. Meaning that I desire Him and His guidance over anything else in this world. And He's provided a really good platform for that guidance we'll look at in just a second. While you're in Matthew, go on to 24.13. Chapter 24, verse 13. This is in the middle of a... We're picking up in the middle again just for sake of time, but this is Jesus talking about the signs of the end of the age, the end times are coming type stuff. Um, and, And... because in verse 12, and because lawlessness will be lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And he's talking about people that will turn from Christ and to the world. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It, it's, you've got to stay with it regardless of what comes. He's talking about the end of age. He's talking about the end of times. He's talking about some very significant things that are, this world is going to see. And He still says, regardless of what's thrown at you, your salvation is genuine when it doesn't have an end. When it doesn't stop. When it endures to the end. And we can find this over and over throughout Scriptures. Go back to Ephesians with me. James, in James chapter 5, don't turn there, James chapter 5 verse 11, he reiterates this same idea and this same thought process with this statement. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast to the end. So over and over throughout Scriptures we see these things. Um, go back to Ephesians chapter, chapter 6 and, and we're going to go on to the next one. But I want you to make sure that you understand and you you realize and you recognize that this salvation is a must. It's a have to. And there are so many different ways to know and understand and see if you have taken that. If you have received. Remember, we started with take the helmet of salvation. Translated from what would also be receive the helmet of salvation. It's a must. You must receive it. It's a free gift from God and you have to start by receiving it. The next thing in this armor and the only offensive weapon, take, receive, accept the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time um, right here, right now, but I'm going to hit some high points really quickly and I need y'all to listen fast so I can talk fast. I want to start with telling you that this sword, if you've ever, you ever seen that uh, TV show uh, Forged in Fire? Y'all ever catch an episode of that where they have this competition and they take these guys and girls um, 
And they'll give them a set of parameters and they'll, sometimes they'll give them what they want them to build. Sometimes they give them the freedom to build what they want and they give them the metal that it has to come from. But either way, they give them raw materials and they give them all the tools they need to forge out a blade of some kind. It may be a sword, it may be a knife, it may be an axe or a hatchet, but somehow, some way, they've got to take this raw metal, this raw material, and they've got to heat it to the point that it can be shaped and formed and conformed and, 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 and forged welded together. And the end product has to be a blade that they can test. And let me tell you, when they say test, they mean it. They beat the snot out of this stuff. I mean, they're like taking this dude's sword he spent all his time on and whooping it on a cow skull. And I'm going, why? Why would you do that? And it flies off into 14 pieces if every step of the process isn't exactly what it has to be. You cannot make a single error in the entire process of forging. From the time you start welding it up and getting it ready to the time that you quench it and cool it and, and dress it and sharpen it. Every step must be perfect or you're going to have catastrophic failure. The sword that Paul's talking about is absolutely perfect and it will not fail. You can beat it, bank it, stomp it, whatever you want to do to it and it'll never let you down. You've got to familiarize yourself with it and you've got to know how to handle it. You've got to know that it's available and what it's capable of. Paul tells us in another, I think it's Paul, in another place in Hebrews, that'd be, we think Paul, um, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to divide bone and marrow. It'd take a pretty sharp knife to do that process. You've got to know how to use this weapon. It's your only offensive weapon. You've got to be familiar with it if you're going to be able to stand against everything that the devil is going to throw at you. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if we had an illustration from Scripture of somebody using the sword against Satan? That'd be an awesome thing to look at and an awesome example to have, wouldn't it? If we could just get this picture of somebody wielding the Word of God like a sword as he stands toe-to-toe with Satan himself. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Let's go look at it in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Do y'all remember what we're trying to stand against? Y'all remember who we're trying to stand against? Y'all remember who our enemy is? And who the one that, that requires... I mean, if we don't have on this whole armor of God, the one that's going to take us down. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by... And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But he answered, Jesus answered, It is written. Where is it written? So what, what is Jesus using here to fight off the temptations of Satan? This is what it looks like when you wield your sword as a Christian. This is an exact example of what Paul is talking about when he says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. When he says to take, to receive, to accept the Word of God and use it as your only offensive weapon, this is what he's pointing at. This is what he's talking about. This is that example of what it looks like when a Christian is able to use the Word of God as an offensive weapon against the attacks of Satan. Now, Satan has caught Jesus at his hungriest time, right? How long has he fasted? Forty days. He's been without food for 40 days. He's hungry. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says so. He's hungry. And, and Satan offers him food at his hungriest time. Would it be a sin in and of itself for Jesus to eat? His fast is over? No. But look at what Satan's trying to do. Look at, look at the attack. Look at the fiery dart. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It ain't so he can be, his hunger can be quenched. Satan's trying to use his weakest state to attack him and catch him in a moment of pride, in a moment of boastfulness. And Jesus' response to this fiery dart. Not only is it to refuse the temptation, but it's to do it with the Word of God. And he goes, it is written. Look, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan walks off and Jesus is free to go. You ever been in a position in your life where you think, man, what else? Huh? You ever been in a place in life where you look up and go, God, I don't know that we can handle anymore. You know what Jesus did in that situation when, when He got tempted one thing right after the other? What He kept using as the same weapon over and over and over? The Word of God. Is it because it failed the first time He used it? No, it's because it works so well. It's because it worked so well that he used it again. Look at this. In verse 5, Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning... Now, what is Satan trying to use? Word of God. But what's the problem with Satan's use of the Word of God? What, what, what is it that's not right about it? What is it that don't line up? Is it written that He will command His angels concerning you? Is that a real reference to Scripture? But He's using it how? Out of... You see why it's so important for you to understand the context 
of Scripture. Man, if that right there don't drive it home, I don't know what will. I don't. It's important that as Christians, that you be familiar and that you understand the Word of God. That you have knowledge of the Word of God. Because if you don't have it and you just use it the way you read it on t-shirts, it's out of context. Even the devil does that. Man. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. He's still quoting Scripture. And look at Jesus said to him, verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Why? For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only shall you serve Him. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. You want a picture of what it looks like for a Christian to use the Word of God as a sword in a battle? There it is. Matthew chapter 4. That's, that's exactly what it looks like. There's no way Christ can do that without the understanding and the knowledge of the Word of God. This sword is not a toy. This sword is not a toy. It's not something you can just pick up. It's not, you can't just strike up when you need it here and there and take out into battle with it. You've got to familiarize yourself with it. You've got to know it. You've got to understand it. You know why Jesus was able to use the Word of God as a weapon? First of all, because He knew it. He knew what it said. Very familiar with it. Second of all, He believed it. He believed everything it said. He didn't believe a portion of it. He didn't believe a part of it. He didn't believe it because somebody else told Him He ought to believe it. He believed it because He believed it. He understood it and He believed it. He knew it, He believed it, and He trusted it. He trusted that when He spoke the Word of God, it would do what God had put it forth to do. Jesus trusted that. You and I have to be at that place. You and I have to understand that this weapon is two-edged, which is a good thing but can be a bad thing. Because if you hit it against something and it bounces back, guess what? It'll cut you too. You ever been cut by the Word of God? You ever been sitting in the pews and the preacher preaching and whatever that subject was, you felt like you was bleeding out on the inside going, I can't wait to get out of here. That's the kind of cutting it does. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. I've walked out to the point that it, I was mad when I left. Who are you going to be mad at? Well, if it came from the Word of God... <laughs> Good luck with that one, right? You've got to be familiar with it. You've got to understand it. Somebody said, I think it was Brother Chris said this morning in Sunday school, you can't obey it if you don't know what it says. It's impossible. 
You can't use it if you don't know what it says. You don't know if you trust it or not. If you don't know what it says, if you've never applied it to your life and and seen it at work, there's no way you can trust it. You have to be familiar with it. We have to be familiar with it. We have to know and understand what it says and we have to believe it because I believe it, because I read it for myself, because I witnessed it take place. Because I've seen it at work in my life and in the lives of the people around me. Not just because Nick or Kevin got up here and said it, so I believe it. We're as human as anybody in this building. We'll we'll mess up in just a second if you give us the opportunity too often. Because we're human. It's what's natural to us, just like it is to you. You've got to know and understand it because you do, not because we do. Again, if you only believe it because I said it, that'll only take you so far. Remember, we just read a scripture that said that there are coming times of tribulation. There are coming tests. There are coming trials. And if you're doing your walk and you're walking your walk based on what I've said and you believe what I say and you don't understand it yourself, it's only going to take you so far. When the heat gets turned up, you'll go, well, I guess Brother Nick may have been wrong about that one and you'll walk away from it. But if you know it to be true because you've looked at it and you understand it, it'll take you a little further. Hopefully, to the end. The other thing that you see happen in those weapons that we watch them build on TV, if they don't have a catastrophic failure and and just completely blow apart... They'll get a bend or a warp in them, right? And they may make it through that test, but when they get to the next test, it can't perform because it's got this bend in it. It's moved. It's distorted. It's twisted. You don't have to worry about that with this sword. It's not going to move. It's not going to bend. In other words, you ain't got to keep up with it from day to day. You ever tried to keep up with the trends of this world? (laughs) Some of y'all laugh. About the time you got saved up for your bell bottoms, everybody was wearing skinny jeans, right? Uh, About the time, about the time you got all your your pants bleached out, everybody, and you were stonewashed and you was good to go and you go to school that year and ain't nobody got on stonewash. Denim's out. Huh? Or about the time you spend all that money on Afro Sheen, you get that thing just like you like it. You come in and everybody's got the buzz cut and you're going, you can't keep up with the trends of this world. You can't keep up with what pleases this world, right? It's ever-changing. It's constant. You don't have to worry about that with the Word of God. It doesn't change. It stays the same. It's always in the right place. It always says what it's always said. We have to conform to it. We can't conform it to what we are. You've got to get familiar with the Word of God. I'm going to close right there. We'll we'll, we'll keep going from there next week and and get on over um, into Paul wrapping up on the uh, armor of God. We'll tie prayer into it and, and see all the other things that are necessary for this armor to be effective. Um, I, I beg you this morning, I plead with you this morning, whoever you are, whatever your status, whatever um, 
I don't years of start whatever. I encourage you to make sure you have a helmet of salvation. It may be a brand new helmet. It may be an old rusty helmet with a bunch of dings and 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 licks on it. I don't know, but I just encourage you to know salvation is a, the requirement is born again. The requirement is being able to look at a timeline of your life and see a place where you can put your finger and say, this is where change occurred. Wherever it's at. Listen, salvation doesn't cost you anything. It's a gift of God. At the same time though, you can't earn it. Number of trips to church don't count towards it. Number of people I've given money to don't count towards it. It can't be earned. You have to be drawn to it and accept it. That's where it all begins. And from there we can start that process of... of God will start that process of sanctification in your life. You have to know that you have this helmet. The rest of this armor does not matter if you don't.